Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. Uh, All the time, people are telling me, I want to make sure I can go to heaven. But then they're not sure they want to get there quickly. Uh, They're in no hurry to get there. Uh, It's the one place ministers spend all their time trying to help you get there, and then you're not in a hurry to go. Uh, There's a joke told of a couple that uh, as they got in their 50s, they were out of shape, and uh, the guy's wife came to him and said, we're not going to make it much longer at the rate we're going. We've got to go on a strict diet. So she put him on a real strict diet, water, poppy seed, and bananas. And sure enough, they lost all kinds of weight. Uh, They were healthy as can be. The problem is a few years later, they got hit by a truck and killed. Uh, And they went up to heaven, and they walked in, and there was the most amazing stuff you'd ever seen in your life. These beautiful mansions, the streets of gold. There was food everywhere. You could eat all you wanted, never gain weight. There were golf courses and swimming pools. And she turned to her husband and said, wow, isn't this great? And he said, yeah. And if it weren't for you and that darned health food, we could have been here 10 years ago. Uh, So I want to remind you, you have a wonderful destiny in the future. Uh, Also, some of you ask about our telecast, The King is Coming. We're on both the DISH and DIRECT services tonight at 7.30. Uh, DISH and DIRECT. Uh, DIRECT TV, it's channel 377. DISH, I think it's called Faith TV. I'm not sure of the channel. Uh, If you're on the cable, if you get the Hope Now channel out of Lynchburg, uh, we're on that tonight at 8.30. Uh, So if we get home uh, quick enough when we get out of here, might catch my own program uh, tonight. But... uh, we're on there every, uh, every Sunday. You can also get us on the Internet on hischannel.com. Uh, we're on there about five times a week. But uh, right now, I want to remind you, God has seven things, at least, planned for every believer's future. And I want to suggest to you what they are. Number one, the promise of the rapture. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Give you a minute to find that. Thessalonica is a real city in Greece, still there today. When the Apostle Paul got there on his second missionary journey, there were no Christians in Thessalonica, none. He preached the gospel, people were saved, and the first church was planted there by Paul. He only stayed three weeks. He taught him the doctrine of God and Christ and salvation, the Holy Spirit, and the second coming. And after three weeks, he left and went to another town. Later, he writes this letter back to them. Uh, Most scholars say within six months to a year. Uh, It's generally believed this is one of the earliest letters in the New Testament, uh, even earlier than some of the Gospels probably written about 51 A.D., less than 20 years after Jesus dies on the cross. This is not hundreds of years later. Paul is writing this letter back because they're saying, Paul, you told us to wait for the coming of Christ, but some of our people died. 
in the meantime? Have they missed the second coming? And part of this letter is to answer that question. No, they have not. Jesus is going to return one day and raise the dead and rapture the living. Notice chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4, verse 13. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those that are asleep, those that have died, that you sorrow not even as others, unbelievers, who have no hope. For if we believe, we Christians, believe that Jesus died and he rose again, now how did Jesus rise? Literally, bodily, physically. He didn't just ooze out of the grave spiritually. He literally rose and said, to the disciples, it's really me. Touch me and see that I'm real. If he rose from the dead, he says, so we believe that those that sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. And he's going to go on to say when he returns. So to be absent from the body, the spirit is present with who? The Lord. At death, the body goes to the grave, the dust, the ashes, the whatever. But the spirit goes to heaven to be with the Lord. At the rapture, the spirit returns with the Lord. The dead are going to return with him. Why? To get their body. Now, people used to understand that very clearly. Bible teaches the literal resurrection of Jesus, literal resurrection of believers. That's why the early Christians took burial of believers seriously, etc. Today, people are kind of like, who needs it? If you die and go to heaven, isn't that good enough? Well, you'd be a disembodied spirit forever. No, your body's important to God. He's going to come back and get it. Even if it has disintegrated to dust. Even if you were burned at the stake as a martyr. Even if you died in a plane crash. Uh, even uh, if you're eaten by a lion. He's going to return for those atoms that make you up. He'll bring them with him from heaven. Verse 15, For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Some believers will live until Jesus comes. We will not precede those that are asleep. Why? Because the Lord himself, Jesus, will descend from heaven with three things. The shout the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Why? Because they're already six feet under. He's going to come back and resurrect the dead, reunite them with their spirit that's already been in heaven. Then, verse 17, then we that are alive and remain shall be caught up. You might circle those words. There's the rapture promise. Caught up together with them, notice, in the clouds, to meet the Lord where? In the air. And you might underline in the air. This is not the return to earth. This is the rapture up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. These are words of comfort, words of encouragement. No believer left behind, so to speak. Jesus is going to return with the departed spirit of believers that have died over the centuries. The body will be resurrected. They'll be resurrected first, and we that are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, 
in the clouds. Now, that's the rapture promise. Sometimes you'll hear critics of the rapture say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Right, it's translated caught up. But it's the same idea. In the Greek New Testament, the original language, it's harpazo. You say, what does that word mean? Basically, zap, you're out of here, uh, is what it means. Caught away, snatched away. Jesus said, I'll come like a what? Thief in the night to snatch away the church to be with me before I declare war on the world. That's the whole idea of the rapture. There are a lot of words that we use theologically that are not in the Bible. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. But the triune God is in the Bible. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with equal attributes of deity. The word Sunday is not in the Bible, but we're meeting on a Sunday. The New Testament calls it the what? Lord's Day. Uh, the Resurrection Day when we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. So a concept can be taught in Scripture whether or not the English word appears there or not. The term of the concept is caught up. Now, it doesn't really matter where you put the timing of the rapture. You have to acknowledge there will be one. And yet people who do not believe that Jesus will come and rapture us up before the time of tribulation and judgment have a tendency to go around saying, oh, there's never going to be a rapture. No, there's got to be a rapture, or you'd have to tear this page out of your Bible and throw it away. There has to be a time when the dead are raised and the living are caught up. You can put it before the tribulation, during the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation. You can say the whole church age is tribulation. You can say there is no tribulation before the millennium, after the millennium. There is no millennium. You've got to put it at the end of time then. You've got to put it someplace. The fact of the rapture is clear in the Bible. There must be a time when the dead are raised and the living are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The promise is a promise for every believer, both dead and alive. Now, uh, sometimes I'll, I, I get enough younger people here, I think I can illustrate this. Let me get the kid in the black shirt, if you don't mind, and the guy up here in the gray jacket looking at me like, please don't call on me. Uh, you guys, come on up here. Help me out here. Can't do this demonstration with old people. Uh, I can only do this with young, healthy people. All right. Let's assume we have two born-again believers. Uh, what are your names? Joseph. James and Joseph. All right. So we've got James and Joseph. They're both saved. They both know the Lord. They're both good kids. They're looking for Jesus to come, but James here got run over by a truck, unfortunately, and he's out of here. Spirit went where? Heaven. But the body's in the grave. Now, if you would help me out, I want you to lay down on the platform on your back, all right? Okay, watch the chair. Don't swing that thing over there. All right, you don't want to mess up your body. All right, we've had his funeral. We've said wonderful things. We've cried real tears. We miss him, but we know he's in heaven with the Lord, but the body's still in the box. When the rapture occurs, the trumpet sounds and the archangel shouts, the dead will rise and the living believers will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. So I want you to help me out. First of all, let's practice a shout. Got to have a shout, so give me something like, Hey! All right, everybody. Hey! Then I need a trumpet of some sort. Give me the best you can. It's dead. We'll rise up. 
come on up, and we which are alive and remain, grab onto each other, uh, and give me a practice rapture jump. Get up as high as you can, all right? Foosh, away we go. Thank you. Living proof that white guys can't jump, but uh, thank you, uh, nevertheless. All right, you get the idea. It's a simple illustration, but it helps us visualize this in our minds. What a wonderful promise. That if you die before Jesus comes, you haven't missed anything. Spirit's in heaven with him, just like John was when he was caught up uh, in the book of Revelation. Uh, you're with Jesus. And as we saw, it's not just about what's happening, but who's coming. Jesus is coming for you. Number two, he's going to take the bride to the Father's house. That's why there needs to be a rapture. John 14, uh, Jesus tells the disciples the last night before he goes to the cross, in my Father's house, there are many mansions or palatial rooms. It's one big giant house, technically. Uh, and if it were not so, I would have told you, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Who is he saying that to? The 11 believing disciples. Judas had already left the room. He's already on his way to betray Jesus. This promise doesn't apply to Judas. It only applies to believers. He's going to use the pronoun you six times in those verses. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back for you. I'm going to take you home to the Father's house. If I go prepare a place for you, I will come back, take you to be with me, that where I am, there you may be also. John 14. It opens with the promise of the rapture. I'm coming back for the believers to take you to the Father's house. Now, every one of Jesus' 11 disciples in that upper room later died. Most of them martyred for their faith. The Spirit went to heaven. Bodies gone to the dust somewhere. I visited John's grave, supposedly in Ephesus, but archaeologists claim they dug it up and looked in it and there wasn't anything in there uh, that he disintegrated away a long time ago. To dust, maybe, or maybe somebody moved him. But either way, Jesus said in the rapture, I'm coming back for you. That's the promise. Why? Because I'm going to take the entire bride of Christ alive to the Father's house. Some of us who go in the rapture will go having never died straight into the Lord's presence when he comes in the rapture. But the purpose of the rapture is to take us to the Father's house. Number three also to take believers to the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, says, We shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in the body. This is not the great white throne judgment for unbelievers. It's the bema seat, it's called in the Greek text, the judgment seat of Christ where you receive your rewards. Now think of that. Everything you've ever done to serve the Lord as a believer, God's keeping the record book. God's writing it down. And God will reward you for those acts of faithful service. Now it's not just that you get a bunch of Sunday school pins like people used to get years ago for attendance. 
The idea is the rewards are going to have to do with faithful service, sincerity of service, sincerity of intent in that service, that I did those things for the cause of Christ. Uh, some of you teach Sunday school. God's keeping the record book. Some of you sing in the choir. Some of you play an instrument. Some of you go on visitation. Some of you are active soul winners. Some of you are busy uh, doing all kinds of things, feeding the poor and the hungry, reaching out to the community, etc., cetera, uh, ministering to your family. God keeps the record book, and we receive those rewards. Now, every once in a while, somebody's humble and says, well, you know, I don't really need rewards. But remember, the crowns we receive, we will do what? Cast at his feet. It gives me an opportunity of greater worship to say, Jesus, what I have, I have because of you. You gave it to me. It's a gift from you. I give it back to you. Years ago, they asked me to speak at a commencement. I challenged all the graduates. The biggest thing in their life was, I'm finally getting my degree. I said, fine, give it back to Jesus. You only have it because of him. If you'll surrender your life and him and that degree to him, come up here and put it on the altar. And a whole bunch of them did. They never asked me to do another commencement service because uh, there are a couple of greedy people holding on to their degree. I get that. I have more degrees than a thermometer. I've got three earned doctorates, two honoraries, two master's degrees, and my dad was an eighth grade dropout. Uh, I got overeducated. Don't do that. Uh, finish your PhD at Liberty. You're good enough. Uh, he's bright. He is going to get it done. Uh, and uh, I'm going to keep pushing him until he gets it done. But the degrees are not what are going to matter in heaven. What really matters is the sincerity of service, the sincerity of our heart to the Lord. I'm convinced there will be unsung missionaries and Christian martyrs in heaven that will get the greatest rewards ever, people we never heard of. We'll be waiting a long time for famous names to be called because he's going to bless those that were faithful in their service to him. And that means you and me. We'll all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive our rewards. And I'm convinced one of those rewards is that white robe. Number four, we're headed to the marriage of the Lamb in heaven. We read that passage earlier, Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready, and fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. We've got to go up in the rapture to go to the Father's house, to go to the judgment seat of Christ, to go to the marriage. I don't care how old you are here today, you've got more living ahead of you than you do behind you. All of this is in your future. I don't care if you're married or you've never been married. You have a marriage in your future. I don't care how many times you've been married. You have a marriage in your future. Uh, the marriage is a symbol of our what? Intimate relationship with Jesus. That we are married to Christ, so to speak, for all eternity. So I want you to help me out. Turn to the person on your right and on your left, one of whom you probably came with. Look him right in the face and say, you're going to get married again. And for Brian up here, finally. <laughs> Keep praying for him. Now, 
in a sense, so well, Ed, aren't we already united to Christ? Aren't we already kind of married to Jesus already, so to speak? Yes, but the Bible says we're not yet with him in heaven. We're not in his presence yet. And what we have is the earnest, the engagement ring, the down payment of the Holy Spirit. When you were born again by the power of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit entered into your life to cause us to be born again, to give us the reminder there's more coming. This is just the beginning. Uh, there's more on the way. You have the engagement ring, so to speak, the promise of the engagement with Christ, but in heaven, the marriage, where we will see him face to face, we will know him as he is, and we will be like him in a final fixed moral state where we no longer sin. When Jesus changes us so completely, so totally, that we are prepared in righteousness and holiness to serve him for all eternity. The marriage of the Lamb is in your future. And then number five, the triumphal return is in our future. Again, we mentioned it in the last hour, Revelation 19, verse 14, the armies that were in heaven followed him riding upon white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Where did they get it? At the marriage. After the marriage, what do we do? We return with Christ. That hasn't happened yet. That tells me that all of this is in the future. The rapture, the trip to the Father's house, the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage of the Lamb, the triumphal return is yet to come in the future. Jesus has not yet come back. So how do we know that? Well, unless you're a Jehovah's Witness who thinks he came back in 1914 and nobody knows but them, uh, he's not here. Uh, when he returns, Zechariah 12 says he'll do what? show himself, and in chapter 14, split the Mount of Olives in half. That hasn't happened. I've been there several times to the Mount of Olives. It's not split in half yet. That is yet to come in the future when he returns. Now, what does he do? Again, he speaks the word, defeats the army of the Antichrist. The beast and the false prophet are immediately thrown into the lake of fire. They bypass the great white throne judgment. It'd be like if Jesus had come back in the days of Hitler. We don't need a judgment for this guy. Just put him right in there. And in the end, death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. Hell is like the city jail. You die lost, you go there, awaiting trial at the great white throne judgment for unbelievers. And after that, you're cast into the lake of fire, which is forever. And death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. Satan is cast into the lake of fire. The devil doesn't throw people into the lake of fire. God does. Technically, Jesus does. As you read those passages, he's the final judge. Now, that's not the only picture of him. Uh, in the ancient uh, Catholic world, Jesus was generally depicted in medieval art as a baby in Mary's arms or dying on a cross, the crucifix, or coming angry in the last judgment. And medieval people who couldn't read saw those pictures, and that's the only pictures they had of Jesus. He's a baby. He's dying on a cross. He's coming back in judgment. In reality, we also understand he's come to save us, to redeem us, 
to have a relationship with us, to show us his love and his grace, to walk through the problems of life with us because he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. There are a lot more pictures, so to speak, uh, that we have describing Jesus throughout the New Testament. That's why we need to study the life of Christ so we understand who he is, what he's done, what he's doing as our intercessor in heaven, and what he's going to do when he comes back in triumph to reign and rule. And we're going to come back with him to reign and rule with him. Number six, we're also coming back to participate in the millennial reign. The triumphal return at Armageddon, he wins the battle. But then according to Revelation 20, he rules the world for a thousand years with a rod of iron. Now, six times it's going to say in Revelation 20, a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years. You get the idea that it's what? A thousand years. Yet some people say, well, I think it's just symbolic of a long time. Well, then why does he keep saying 1,000 years? Uh, and why does it have a beginning point, the binding of Satan, and an ending point, the loosing of Satan? For in those 1,000 years, those that are raptured and return in glorified bodies were not subject to sin. We're here to reign and rule with it. But those that have survived the tribulation period that live on into the millennium and natural bodies populate the millennium. That's why I don't think you can have the rapture at the end of the tribulation period because it, all the saved people were raptured into glorified bodies and the unsaved were judged and the goats were removed. You don't have anybody left to go into the millennium. There's nobody left to rule over. So I think the scripture makes that very clear. The believers... Go up in the rapture, go to the Father's house, go to the judgment seat of Christ, go to the marriage, come back in the triumphal return where the bride of Christ is now put on display again on earth. If you follow the patterns of Jewish weddings, uh, that theology follows that same pattern. In a Jewish wedding, the young man would make a pledge to the girl to marry her, and then they would be betrothed, engaged, and he would leave and go back to his father's house to prepare a room for them to live in. He had to add a room on the house. If you're really rich, build a whole house. And when his father said, the task is done, the father would authorize him to go get the bride. And the bride was supposed to be waiting because she didn't know for sure when the groom would come. Now, he might send her a warning, might send her a letter, but uh, sometimes not. Uh, and uh, his guys that were going to be in the wedding would come along and blow a trumpet and announce that they had arrived for the wedding. And sometimes they might do it in the middle of the night just to be funny. So she'd sleep with a dress right next to her if necessary, so she'd be ready to meet him. Now, you don't have to overdo this. There was a group up in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, called the Ephrata Cloister, group of farmers that read the verse, he'll come at midnight. And they thought, well, we better get up then. And every night for years and years and years, they woke up at 11 o'clock at night, got up and stayed up till after midnight. And if he didn't come, they went back to sleep. It never occurred to them. It had already been midnight in Israel six hours earlier. Uh, what time zone are you in? They hadn't thought about that. The point is, he returns 
when we least expect him to come. But he will come quickly, suddenly, to catch the bride away, to take her to be with him, and then when we return, the bride is on display. Once he married the girl and took her to the father's house and the marriage was consummated, then eventually the married couple would return to the bride's village where she'd be now introduced as the married woman in her hometown. The church comes back with Christ to reign and rule on earth in fulfillment of this picture that Jewish readers of the New Testament would have clearly understood. But as wonderful as the millennium is, if Jesus is literally here in Jerusalem, ruling on David's throne for a thousand years with a rod of iron, that means every school would be a Christian school. Every hospital would be a Christian hospital. Every place the gospel would go forth in all the world. And the Bible seems to describe that time as a time of peace and blessing and prosperity. And yet at the end of the millennium, as wonderful as it is, it's not heaven. It's not the end. And then we come to the seventh promise, the eternal city. And when the millennium ends, Satan is temporarily loosed again. Why? To test the hearts of those that have been born in the millennium. Are you really in love with Jesus? Are you really following him? Or are you just obeying because he's in charge? Is your heart really with him or not? And sadly, at the end of Revelation 20, it says many rebel at that point. See, environment doesn't save you. Environment doesn't change you. We have a tendency to think if we could just feed everybody, clothe everybody, give money to everybody, they'll all live in peace with each other. No, they won't. The rottenness of the depravity of the human heart, we'll always choose to do the wrong thing sooner or later. The environment isn't going to make you a better person. The environment will give you a chance, but you still have to respond to the grace of God. You still have to repent of your sins. You still have to put your faith and trust in the Savior. You still have to personally acknowledge Him and let Him be Lord of your life if that marriage, spiritually speaking, is going to be complete. And for those for whom it is, the final promise is the new heaven and the new earth, the eternal city. Turn in your Bible to Revelation 21, and let's look at the description of that place again. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, presumably the atmosphere or the stellar system itself, had passed away, and the first earth passed away. And there was no more sea, no ocean. So what's left is going to be very different. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride. The bride is now depicted as the holy city. Uh, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. And he will wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no sorrow, no crying, no more pain, for the former things are passed away. Behold, I make all things new. Think of what that will be like. 
that we're all living together in the New Jerusalem, the heavenly city, with God for all eternity, and there's no sin. That means there's no jealousy. There's no competition. There's no anger. There's no frustration. We're in a final fixed moral state where we are like him because we have seen him as he is. And he said to me in verse 6, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Now give to him that is a thirst the fountain of the water of life freely. And he that overcomes will inherit all things. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. And then he goes on to describe this in incredible detail. Again, beyond John's imagination. In verse 12, there are 12 gates to the city like gigantic pearls. Now, I don't know if they're literal pearls. Those would be awfully big oysters. Uh, or is he just describing it that way? There are foundations of semi-precious stones. And there are uh, streets of gold. But then he says you can see through it. It's transparent. Doesn't sound like the gold we know of. It's so fabulous, it's beyond anything we can imagine. When Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, if the average Jewish husband left and was gone for a few weeks, months, or a couple of years preparing a place for the bride, Jesus has been gone for almost 2,000 years. Think of what that place must be like. Beyond our imagination, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Beyond anything you and I could even try to describe the city, in verse 18, was made of pure gold like clear glass. And then he says the gates of the city are named for the 12 tribes of Israel. And the gates of the, or the names of the walls of the city, the foundations for the 12 apostles. Uh, and in verse 23, the glory of God and the Lamb are the light of it. It has no need of the sun or the moon. The glory of God is the light of the eternal city that glory that appeared on day one of creation. Uh, and uh, then he says, and all the nations of them that are saved will walk in it, and the kings of earth will bring their glory and their honor into it, and the gates will never be shut by day because there is no night there. The glory of God is the light of that eternal city. And when you go to chapter 22, the river of life is there in verse 1. In verse 2, the tree of life is there. Lost in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life is now restored. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about the fact in verse 4 of chapter 22, we will see his face and his name will be in our foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need of the candle or the light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. And then again, as I said in the last hour, the book of Revelation ends with the invitation. In verse 16, I, Jesus, sent my angel to announce this to you in the churches. John, take this message back to the churches. The last record we have of Jesus appearing on earth in the Bible, on the island of Patmos, in the Aegean Sea, revealing this to his last living disciple who would pass it on to us generation after generation. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and whoever is thirsty, let him come, 
and whoever will, let him come. And then the book ends in Revelation 22, verse 20. He that testifies these things saith, Surely I will come quickly. Uh, the Greek word literally, suddenly, instantly. And John adds, Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Saved by what? Grace. Through faith. It's the grace of God. Think of how much God loves you. You and I, like Adam and Eve, sinned. Adam and Eve ran away from the God who loved them, hid in the trees. God came into the garden calling like a parent. Adam, earth man, where are you? Over here in the trees. Why? What have you done? And then Adam, with all the leadership he could muster, blamed Eve. And then God said, Eve, what have you done? And she blamed the serpent. It's my people, human nature doesn't change. Blame God, blame the devil, or blame each other. It's the woman you gave me, he said. It's blaming God. She's blaming the devil. They're blaming each other. You finally look in the mirror and say, no, it's time to blame myself. It's time to admit I'm the one who sinned. I'm the one who's failed. I'm the one who needs redemption. I'm the one who needs cleansing. I'm the one who needs forgiveness. And God makes it available to me, calls on me to turn from my sin and run to him. And finally, God stepped into the darkness of the garden to meet Adam and Eve's need and provide for them and made the first sacrifice for sin, shed the first blood, gave them the first prophecy of the Bible that ultimately the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, Satan, the dragon. That ultimately somebody would enter the human race, Jesus, the Son of God. God incarnate would come and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He would die for our sins. He would atone for our sins. And the scripture says not only for ours, but the sins of the whole world. Salvation is available to any and all who will put their faith and trust in him. The goal of the prophetic message of the Bible is that we would come to faith. And as believers, we would have confidence in that faith and go forth to serve him until the trumpet sounds and the archangel shouts and we're out of here to the glory of God. And all of God's people said, Amen. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith. 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.